Sports Etc. is New England's hockey leader since 1980. For over 30 years, we have specialized in fitting players of all ages for hockey and goalie equipment. We understand that anyone can sell hockey equipment, but not everyone can truly fit hockey equipment. We carry all the major hockey brands like Bauer, CCM, Reebok, Easton, Graf, Warrior, Vaughn, Bryans, and many more. Located at 1303 Massachusetts Avenue, Arlington, Mass., and on the web at sportsetc.net, experience the difference at Sports Etc. Welcome back to the My Hockey Live podcast presented by Sports Etc. My name is Brandon Hall. I'm joined today by the Boston Globe's Jim Clark, Hall of Fame member Jim Clark, uh, high school hockey Hall of Famer. Uh, welcome back to the podcast, Jim. Thanks, Brandon. What's going on, man? Oh, it's been uh, it's been wild here, right? With uh, you know, we've usually crossed paths several times uh, at this point of the season. We have uh, yet to see each other this winter. I barely cross paths with my neighbors nowadays. I mean, you know, it's just, it's me and my wife and, and, and Bruiser, the podcasting dog, and, uh, and and the people I run into at the supermarket or whatever. But, uh, you know, and, uh, I've seen two high school hockey games myself this entire season. So uh, we're just uh, trying to muddle through this crazy year as best as we can and hope uh, – Hope we get to some normalcy in uh, in 2021. Yeah, and your My Hockey Live subscription gets you into some of those games, a lot more of those games from the comfort of your home, which is nice. Uh, subtle plug there for a My Hockey Live go. subscription. <laughs> um, but uh, what are you made of the high school hockey season thus far? I mean, every coach you talk to, I, I think it's just they're just so grateful for every day they get on the ice, whether it's for a practice or for a game. Uh, I mean, you see in so many situations where, you know, a team will, will cancel a game or for whatever reason, or both sides cancel a game. And then you're having, um, you know, teams picking up games and, and picking up non-league games on a day or two notice, or even the leagues themselves, you know, being flexible with, uh, you know, setting up games on the fly, so to speak, where even if you played a team twice already during the season, you know, you're picking up another home-and-home series uh, anytime there's a cancellation. I think that, you know, co- coaches and ADs are just trying to be as flexible as they can. They know it's it's not going to be a normal year. Uh, you're not going to have any, you know, state tournaments or sectional titles or anything like that. It uh, doesn't matter if you're, you know, playing the same team four or five times during the course of the year. It, it's just – Take whatever you can get and get and run with it and, and be happy. And I, I, I think that, you know, the reactions that I've gotten from a lot of coaches and players is that's the attitude they're taking. Um, you know, they knew what the situation was going in. And every day they can get on the ice and compete has just been a blessing so far. Yeah, it's been interesting to see teams, you know, say a Pope Francis travels from West West Springfield all the way out to, uh, you know, play Bridgewater Raynham. Um or, uh, you know, the, the teams that we've, we've said this before, but teams that have um, just sort of tweeted out like, a, hey, our game got canceled on Wednesday. Anybody want to play? Uh, it's been kind of fun to see that sort of thing happening. And uh, we, I, I got to tell you, the thing that I like the most about it is these league, the, the conference championships that have come out of it. Um, it was fun in the fall. And uh, I think we're going to have a pretty couple of pretty good ones coming up. We've got a, a great matchup between Hingham and Hanover set for Saturday in the Patriot Cup. And in the in the other game, uh, Marshfield Situate, that's going to be a good one too. You know, Situate's uh, won ten in a row. I know that they had a game scheduled for um, Tuesday afternoon against Hanover. I don't know if that one's going to want to get played or not with the weather, but uh, 
you know, Citroen's been on a roll, 10 in a row since they lost the Marshfield that first game of the season, which, you know, it's hard to believe it's our first game of the season. That was actually, what, January 2nd, I think, when they finally got on the ice, you know, the day after New Year's. It's uh, it's it's crazy that you, they've kind of packed so many games into, you know, what seems like such a short period of time. But, um, you know, as far as the tournament, uh, the, the league tournament concept, I really, really hope that with the state tournament coming up starting next year, that we can figure out a way to make this a regular thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know how you would do it without sacrificing some of the um, the great tournaments that you already have going on in February vacation week. I, I, the way you could do it is I, I started following Connecticut hockey last year for Hockey Night in Boston. This is going to be my second year doing it. And what they actually do down there is they have their regular season. They actually have the cutoff date. They seed the state tournament based on, you know, the 20 games or whatever they play in the regular season. Then they actually have the league tournaments that don't count at all towards the qualifying for the state tournament. And that's actually a separate week or however many days they want to set it up for, you know, four or five days if they only do, um, you know, a four-team tournament or whatever. Um, I really think there's, there's great potential there to do something like that. Um, should they choose to structure it that way, um, you could very easily do it where you still protect the, you know, the Buddy Ferreira Classic or the Cajon Cup or, you know, the, uh, the, the tournament out at Pope Francis every year. Um, those, those great February vacation tournaments have been going on for forever and ever. Um, have the normal cutoff like you normally do with the 20 games or 22 games. And then somehow figure out a way that your following week after the February vacation week becomes your league tournament week where, you know, it could be a district, a league tournament. It could be a district thing. If you're talking like Central Mass, where you have a small number of teams, just something like that, just to give the, the kids another carrot because, you know, once they get to the state tournament, it's it's going to be a state championship or bust. That's really what it's going to be. There's going to be no more, you know, sectional titles to, to skate around a gallo with the trophy or anything like that. Um, it's going to be garden or bust and, and or, you know, assuming that they continue playing at the garden and, it's, it's only going to be four or five games. So if you think about it, you know, you look at the calendar, if, um, if you want to set it up where the state finals are still that Sunday right around St. Patty's Day or whatever, you're probably only needing two and a half weeks maybe to play the whole state tournament. Mm. And uh, I, I personally think there's some wiggle room there that you could pull it off. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, logistically, will they be willing to take that, that leap and allow the leagues to do it, um, you know, because the question becomes, do they insist that it has to be inside your 20 or 22 game limit, or do they, you know, create some kind of waiver thing? Uh, I just think that, like I said, with, with only state, state tournament championships next year, starting next year, I just think that any little thing that you can give these kids to, you know, kind of, kind of dangle over their heads, and, you know, a goal that they can shoot for during the season, I think it's a great thing, and I'm, I I can't wait to see how this turns out. I, like you said, it was it was great during the fall, uh, the leagues that did it, and um, you know, looking at that Patriot League bracket, which is is really interesting the way they have it set up, where it's it's pretty much only single elimination except for the two games on Saturday, the uh, Marshfield situated in the Hingham Hanover. Um, the losers of those two games actually do stay alive and play on Monday, um, so that's kind of the way they set that up. Um, and so the Patriot is doing it. The dual County league has set up um, a smaller bracket, you know, two different divisions of four or five teams. Uh, the Merrimack Valley conference, which didn't do anything in the fall 
has kind of reacted to the popularity of it, I think, and decided to do it during the winter. So they're going to have two uh, 14 brackets that they're going to seed. Um, so that's going to you know, hopefully work out well. Um, I know the Catholic Conference is planning on doing something. The Catholic Central League is planning on doing something. I think the uh, Cape Ann and the South Coast and the Cape and Islands, I believe, are all said they want to do conference tournaments. So uh, Love it. I, I just can't wait to see how, how yeah. it turns out. I, I think it's going to be a great thing. I yeah, really and, and it ends up getting that feel of college basketball, right? Like college basketball has the perfect tournament format. Like you've got your regular season where you play, say, 25 games, and then you've got your conference championship week, uh, and then you go into the single elimination tournament, and it's the most exciting week in sport. Like that that first weekend of the tournament, the single elimination stuff – that that's like the most exciting weekend in sports across the uh, you know across the sports calendar and to be able to replicate that as you're saying it doesn't seem like it would be all that difficult if anyone on the hockey committee is listening listen to Jim Clark always that's number 1 number 2 this is a golden idea i love this yeah absolutely i mean it, a little uh, inside nugget for you people i'm actually a, a huge closet college basketball junkie i actually covered college basketball for about eight years back in the 90s before i, I got to the herald so um it's it's funny i just haven't had as much time to really kind of delve into college basketball this year but but you're right i mean and, and not even college basketball but just you know college hockey as well that championship week is is just a gold mine of ratings for tv and um obviously you know, the, the, the idea behind some of the small leagues where you're playing for the chance to get into the NCAA tournament um, is a whole nother level of um, incentive that I don't necessarily think you would have um, on the high school side because, you know, most of these teams would, um, you know, already be qualify, qualifying for a state tournament anyway. But I just think that, you know, this is just something extra for these kids to be able to play for you know in the past you would be able to, if you didn't win a state title you'd at least be able to say oh yeah I, I went to Gallo I played for a sectional title I won a state title or something like that um, that's not going to happen anymore so um, the, the league championship would be the next you know the next best alternative and you know if if one team wins a league title during the regular season and they hang a banner in their gym and or in their rank and another team wins the league tournament and and they win they hang a banner then you know all the better you know more more things that these these kids and teams can put on their resumes is is, is good in my book yeah uh, so what do you make of a team like pope francis now that would play you know sort of an independent schedule or hingham that plays an independent schedule where do you sort of slot them in i guess because they would be uh you know of the you know what about us kind of thing you know we did have sure. a, we did have a mention on twitter um we've got listeners out in western mass uh we had a a, a player at plymouth at uh, i'm sorry at um pope francis that uh reached out and said uh you know when we had said bc high at the time was was what we thought the best team in the state uh he said hey you forgot about this team out west so what do you what do you make of a team like like Pope Francis in a situation like that? I don't want to make sure we give Pope Francis its due its due here. Um, of course, I, and that's going to be really interesting because obviously, you know, we know if you probably talk to Tony Messina, they would probably say that they would have preferred to still have an independent schedule this year. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, I think it's it's been good for them in some ways to be able to kind of dive back into the the Patriot League where they hadn't played since I think it was the two thousand two season um right around there when when garrett regan was still coaching yeah they definitely um, weren't it, in the patriot league when i was coaching at silver lake and uh yeah so they might it might have been you know at at that point i think it would have been old colony league um 
potentially. Were they in the old colony? I don't even know. No, they were in they the, they been, were in the they ACL, They would have been in the right? old colony and maybe the Atlantic Coast yeah. back in the 90s um, under Garrett. Um, and the Patriot League was, was fairly new at that time, um, you know, and not to the, to the size that it is now. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be, you know, that, that would be kind of a wrinkle. That, yeah, I don't know how you would handle it. I don't know if you'd have a situation where, you know, um, you know, Pope Francis is never going to have a hard time finding teams to play. Yeah, they would right. be able to go out and play, you know, a Fairfield prep from Connecticut or a Bishop Hendrick or whatever. Obviously, depending on what their calendars look like and what their state tournaments look like, um, you know, would they set up some kind of post-vacation week tournament where, you know, they had four or eight teams or however many come in and to, to the Olympia out there and, uh, mm. and play all these different teams. I mean, you know, that might be something they would consider as well. Yeah, you invite, um, you have like a big old invite and you bring Hingham and Pope Francis and Mount St. Charles and Hendrickson and, uh, you know, sure. I have a real like New England invitational. This, I, listen, this is gold here. Why don't people listen to us? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, and this is not only hockey. I really think that, you know, I think the hockey calendar is, is just kind of, you know, it's kind of been set the way it's been set for, for the longest time. And that's, that's, you know, something we were kind of been butting up against. Um, but I, I think that in every other sport, this is, this is something that has a lot of potential in, in um, you know, obviously you only have so many weeks in the, in the year that you can deal with, but um, uh, I, I really hope that this is something that we can figure out i mean, i say we i mean I, I don't have any decision making power or anything like that i can only throw the power of suggestion out there and hope that enough people <laughs> have open minds and open ears and agree with what we're saying but uh you know hopefully you know next week whatever whatever leagues are able to pull us off and you know show that this is this is something that is a, a good thing you know now, what do you make of, um, just to kind of switch gears a little bit here, what do you make of St. John's Shrewsbury uh, and their move into the Catholic Conference this year? Obviously, they're you know five and one uh, or better at this point. Um, what do you make of that move? It, it seems to have paid off really well for them. Oh, of course. I mean, you know, this was a team that was in the North sectional final last year, um, you know, down to the final two minutes tied with Belmont before uh, – Ben Fici scored that, that awesome goal to, to win the sectional title for Belmont. Um, you know, this is a team I'm familiar with having, being, being from Central Mass. I've watched uh, St. John's teams play for 30-some-odd years. And, um, you know, they're the 800-pound gorilla in the room when it comes to Central Mass because, you know, this you know Catholic Conference, you've got, you know, teams spread out from, you know, St. John's Prep down to, you know, Malden Catholic, Zavarian. They cover a pretty wide range of um, geography when it comes to Eastern Mass. Uh, when it comes to Central Mass, it's pretty much been St. John's is, is really the Catholic power um, in the Worcester area and beyond for, for years and years and years. Um, so they've kind of um, been a little bit out of place in, in a way when it comes to you know competing in Central Mass, which is why they, they moved out of the Central Mass League back in the 90s, um, went into the Catholic Conference actually for one year back in the 90s, um, and then I don't know what the situation was, whether um, the league wanted them to come in full time in all sports and there was some resistance there. I can't really remember the backstory. Uh, but basically what happened this year was they were supposed to come in as a full member of next year. Um, and with the pandemic, mm. the, the vote was made to allow them in to come in a year early. Um, and I think it's worked out, you know, great, not only in hockey, but in, but in all sports. It's, I mean, they fit in perfectly in the Catholic conference. Um, you know, all boys school and just the size wise. And uh, it's been pretty seamless. And, um, 
you know, as far as their, their play on the ice, you know, they've gotten some, some excellent goaltending from uh, Ryan, Ryan, I'm thinking it's Delidier, I believe is his last name. I don't know if, I, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. I, I only need to know how to spell it. You know, you and, you and Jake and, and Paul Mack have to pronounce it. So, um, but, uh, you know, they had that huge win against BC High, who they hadn't beaten since uh, I researched in 2001, the year that wow. St. John's was the number one seed in, in the Super 8 tournament. Um, and, you know, they played pretty much every year and sometimes twice a year over the years, even when they weren't in the same league. Um, so it was a, a lot of games and a lot of years that they weren't able to pull that off. Uh, you know, I know Zavarian beat him yesterday, a pretty good one nothing game that, uh, you know, you guys did over at the Ice House. Um, but yeah, they've uh, they fit right in pretty well, and uh, I think that they're going to be a pretty good addition uh, addition to the league going forward. Uh, moving on in Division One, um, John McGuire, the Waltham longtime Waltham coach, uh, picked up his 400th career win uh, in a win against Concord Carlisle. Um, where do you think this ranks, John? Uh, you know, big picture kind of stuff. John McGuire in in the pantheon of high school hockey coaches in Massachusetts. <laughs> Uh, he's, he's definitely deserves his spot. I, I mean, you know, not just what he does for, for high school hockey off the ice. I mean, being the orchestrator of the Garrett Regan summit from, from day one and all that stuff. But, you know, he is a guy who's been coaching for 36 years at a school like Waltham. He was won two state titles, you know, as recently as 2018, um, has had his team in the super eight tournaments a few times. Um, he went to the semifinals, I think, in 2004, maybe um, one of those years um, when you know, Patrick Watson was his goaltender. Um, he, he's he's as good as there is in, in the business right now. You know, he doesn't get the the accolades of uh, you know a John Missouri or, or John Flaherty or some of the Catholic Conference coaches, but I mean, you can't scoff at 400 wins. Um, you know, when it comes to current coaches right now, there's only three guys ahead of them. Um, Bach and Season at Burlington, Mark Lee at St. Mary's, and, of course, Dan Shine at uh, Arlington Catholic. Um, you know, but I was doing some research, you know, last week when we saw that he was on the cusp of his 400th win and just seeing, you know, some of the other names that have uh, that have done it in past years. And it is a pretty good group of, of former coaches, Um that have been in the 400 win area. You're talking uh, the Sylvia brothers, uh, Jim and Bob, um, Buddy Ferrer, obviously Peter Doherty. Uh, then you get up into the, the 500s with um, a guy like Frank Quinn from Arch- uh, Archbishop Williams, Henry Hughes at Melrose, and then of course the, the legendary ones, uh, you know, Bill Hansen and Eddie Burns and Marty Pierce. So, um, but you know, you're talking probably you know, top 25, 30 or so all time uh, in win totals. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's really tough to have that kind of longevity and, and still, uh, you know, still be as, uh, as you know, have the uh, the motivation and the the excitement to, to go to the rink every day as he does, um, you know, coaching alongside his son, Chris, who was a really good player for him at Waltham uh, about 10 or so years ago. Um, so he's, He's as good as it gets in high school hockey these days, and you know, I was I was thrilled to be able to see him get that milestone last week. Yeah, and sticking with the coach side, uh, Jake and I had a conversation last week on on the podcast about uh, former NHLers that were that were high, that became Massachusetts high school hockey coaches, uh, and we had come up with a couple of names. And we had talked about Andrew Raycroft helping out, um, and Hal Gill, uh, and Paul Mara helping out down at Bourne briefly. Um, and we both, we both came to the conclusion that that was as far as we could go, but we knew 
that there was someone else out there that would know some names. So not to put you on the spot, but you got any that come up off the top of your head? It's kind of former fit. NHL players. Okay. Uh, well, Carl Corazzini, who's now the coach at St. Mark's, he coached at Weston High for a couple of years. Um, Dale Dunbar had a cup of coffee um, with the Bruins, or he played a handful of games in the 80s. Uh, I just wrote my Globe notebook last week about Scott Harlow. Yep. Played one game in the NHL. Yep, so Scott came up uh, with us. But, yeah. but he's a former NHL player. Um, let me see if I can go around the league here off the top of my head. Um, let's see. If you had if you had mentioned this thing before we came on the air, I probably could have thought of a few more. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, Hal was obviously an interesting one. Um, you know, I still was in contact with him a little bit. He's he's doing um, radio for the National Predators now, and I, I watched Hal play in high school uh, when he played for Neshoba and right. he went on to uh, Providence College. And, um, and I actually got to watch him at Providence as a former season ticket holder of the Friars. Uh, yeah, that that was a lot of fun. It was. Um, he was on the same team, um, and now I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. Um, Chris, oh gosh, what was his name? He was a defenseman. Uh, ended up playing for the Flyers. He got drafted by the Flyers. Um, Chris Ter- not Chris Terrian? Or- uh, yeah, it was. Um, yeah. So okay. Chris Terrian was um, the Flyers scout sat behind us for an entire weekend series uh, and said, hey, you guys have been here for the, couple, the last couple of games. So what do you think of him? We, go, we like him a lot. He's tough. He's you know, hard to play against. And uh He's good with the puck, and he was like, "Oh, okay." And he kind of wrote some some stuff down, and then a couple of weeks later, he ended up getting drafted by the Flyers. It was it's pretty wild. That's yeah. That's my uh, that's as much as I've got though. <laughs> yeah, Hal's Hal's an interesting story because you know people might not remember he was a really good quarterback in high school too, and he had an offer to play at Northeastern quarterback. And so going through his senior year, there was a lot of question whether he was going to go football or hockey and he had a really good senior year and he might have played in some uh, showcase tournaments always he obviously always had the size and, and the skating ability um you know um but then he wound up getting drafted uh, and i remember i was sitting in my uh, office and you know back then you know they didn't have the draft online that you could really follow the way that you did now you kind of got the uh, the draft list came over the ap wire um Later on that night, and I remember I was looking for somebody else. Um, it might have been Paul Vincent's kid that I was trying to look up. He was playing at Cushing Academy at the time, so he was local for me. And then I stumbled across Hal's name, and I was like, wow, this is, you know. I knew he was good, but it was like, you know, was he was was he that good already? And, mm. and obviously the Bruins drafted him based on you know his potential and on his size and all that. And, you know. Um, he wanted to play over a thousand games in the NHL, so um, right, real remarkable. Yeah, he, he did something right. I'm trying to uh, while we're talking here, I'm trying to call up my my coaching history file here to uh, see if I if there's anyone that I'm forgetting um, that coached in the NHL. If you want to move on to something else while I'm uh, yeah, sure, the, the slowest computer in the world, which is less <laughs> than a year old, and somehow I've managed to completely kill this with um, some of the files that I have buried on already. You know, so. has Bruiser been watching YouTube again? Yeah, apparently. So I can, can't trust can't trust him. You know, when he's yeah. not mapping. Yeah, uh, the game. You know, one of the uh, the thing, the other things that Jake and I had talked about too was. Um, uh, high school hockey players in the MIA, and I know you do track this extensively, who've gone on to, to play in the NHL or in the NHL right now. Uh, and we talked a bit about, you know, the the Bruins have, have really taken over the MIAA. The guys that are from Massachusetts, um, 
and playing on the Bruins, a lot of them have gone through MIA schools, uh, at least had a cup of coffee, you know, in a public and then gone on to say play in the U S national development team or, uh, gone off to a private or something like that. But, um, there seems to be a pretty good pipeline between the MIA and the Bruins, which is great to see. Um, so yeah. as a local kid, the dream of playing for, you know, for the Bruins is definitely alive and well with a, you know, a guy like Chris Wagner or Charlie Coyle, um, Matt Grizzlick. I mean, I'm just like, these are just names popping into my head right now. Uh, but in the pipeline, um, as it goes, who do you see locally? That's kind of going to be the next one to pop, um, not necessarily for the Bruins, but, you know, looking at an NHL career, um, you know, it could be a kid that's in college right now that played through the MIA. Um, and, and, you know, this is kind of an involved question, a deep question. So I apologize for kind of springing it on you. But, um, you know, the next who do you think the next MIA, former MIA player is that's going to jump into the NHL? I honestly I think it's going to be Ryan Leonard. I really do. Um, I mean, people that I've talked to, they said he has the potential. And this was when he probably even before he set foot on the ice for Pope Francis as a freshman. They said he had the potential to be better than his brother, John, who obviously has gotten a few games in with the Sharks to start this season. Um, he scored his first career goal for the Barracuda the other night. They, uh, they kind of had a situation where, um, you know, the Sharks got off to a tough start. Um, he had debuted uh, from the start of the season skating with Evander Kane and Thomas Shirtle. Um, and, you know, the Sharks kind of started struggling. Uh, John sat out a game. The Sharks then went on pause um, for, you know, you know, situation. That I think it was with the, the Minnesota Wild that went on pause and they just happened to be playing the Sharks. So they were going to be off for a week or so. And so the Sharks sent John down to um, send him to, to the Barracuda, who also played out of San Jose. And uh, so he's so he could get some some more playing time, and he scored his first goal I think on Sunday. Um, but but Ryan, if you watch Ryan play, he is the spitting image of John in a lot of ways on the ice. Um, I, I really think that you know he's a sophomore now at Pope Francis. I don't know you know whether you know national development program or anything like that is in his future, but uh, he's he's really got that that potential to be that that kind of player. Um, going forward so i would be you know it's obviously a few years down the road um but um you know it'll be really interesting to kind of follow his career track um which you know, selfishly hopefully will be including you know staying right home in, in the amherst and, and playing at my alma mater like his brother <laughs> did but uh you know he's, he's certainly gonna have a lot of options down the road i think yeah two um, two locals that um you know, for me, that because they kind of hit home. One is Kevin Fitzgerald um, from Pembroke. He's currently with uh, the Chicago Wolves. Had uh, two goals the other night, or I'm sorry, two goals in the last two games. Um, and he's kind of bounced, you know, in the AHL a little bit between San Jose Barracuda and Charlotte Checkers, and had an extensive career in the queue and played with Sidney. Cro- uh, you know, I shouldn't say Sidney Crosby. I'm sorry. Played with um, uh, Connor McDavid um, in the queue, but. Uh, Kevin Fitzgerald, obviously, because he's local in Pembroke. And the second one is John Marino um, with the Penguins. Now, you know, when I look at his Elite Prospects page, I see Seltzer Kings, Seltzer Kings, Seltzer Kings. But did he play in the MIA? I don't think he did. He attended CM. Okay. But I don't think he ever played um, played for CM. I think he was Kings um, pretty much all the way along. Okay. Yeah, we were yeah. watching. We were watching the game the other day, and my kids. You know, they mentioned that he was from Easton, and my kids' eyes lit up. Um, my son in particular, uh, and I said, oh, "He didn't go to Oliver Ames, bud." Um, 
but I wasn't it wasn't entirely sure where he did play. But okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, um I forgot one obvious coach, Robert. Already, I'm going down my list. Sean Bates. Oh yeah. Still coaching at Medford. Forgot him, obviously. Right. It's, you know, I just kind of. Is it because he's mind... a BU? Is it because he's a BU guy, Jim? Uh, I I don't have anything <laughs> against BU at all. Um. You know, I mean, Sean was a legendary, you know, high school player from Medford back in back in the '90s. He was on that '93 team that went to the uh, the Garden and uh, lost to CM in the in the championship game. But uh, he he was a phenomenal, phenomenal right. high school player. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's been coaching at Medford for eight or nine years now. Obviously, Medford is not playing this winter, um, but the hope is that the, the Greater Boston League can get on the ice sometime in the one of these overlap seasons that's coming up. I don't know how that's all going to work out mm. um, you know, with the four or five teams that they have, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, um, you know, getting back to the players, obviously you've got some, um, some former Malden Catholic kids that are in the AHL level right now. Um, you know, Matt Philippe was in uh, preseason camp with the Bruins. He signed with them during the off season. Um, haven't played at Northeastern, you know, up through, up through last year. Um, was on uh, MC for a number of years. Uh, Ryan Fitzgerald, I think, is playing in Lehigh Valley now. Okay. Um, with the with the Flyer system, I think he was, um, you know, obviously he was in Providence with the Bruins for for a few years. Uh, I think his brother Casey might still be in in with the Sabres system. Uh, so he would probably be playing in. Uh, was it, I think with Rochester, I believe, but it's still the Sabres AHL team. Um, I think Max Wellman from Barnstable is probably still playing, um, in the flyer system. Uh, if I remember, so he might actually be, uh, be teammates with, uh, Fitzgerald, um, in Lehigh Valley. Um, Mike Vecchione, I actually, uh, texted back and forth with him about something back in the fall and he was, um, in the process of signing with the Avalanche. So I think he is, um, with the Avs, um, AHL team, wherever they are, um, I know Tyler Piacentini is still playing in the ECHL for Huntsville. Um, you know, I hear from him every once in a while, time to time. You know, a good Weymouth kid where I lived for 16 years or so. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, so there's quite a few of them out there. Um, you know, they're already in the pro ranks um, and they're kind of biding their time. You know, with this unusual season, with the way things are set up with, um, you know, the taxi squads and everything mm-hmm. during the pandemic, you know, it's just, you know, you never know when some of these guys might get their opportunity for a call up or a cup of coffee or something like that, like, uh, like a Scott Harlow or a Dale Dunbar did back in the day. Yeah. Um, but hopefully, uh, these guys just kind of keep plugging away and eventually they'll, they'll get their shot in the NHL. Yeah. Or you end up in a situation like the Providence Bruins are in where they're going to be playing a bean pot essentially all season long. Right. <laughs> um, I did yeah, want to, and mean, playing at a Marlboro too, you know, was, you yeah. know with the, 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 the dunk not being available for, for hockey this year, it was obviously a, you know, an ideal situation that their, um, that their owner, Lou run for a while. So owns the New England sports center in Marlboro. Um, so, you know, they were able to make the seamless transition there. I, I assume that they're playing out of rank one and not of, out of rank eight or, or mini, <laughs> mini rank or whichever rank that they're building in, you know, Berlin or Bolton or however, you know, they're expanding to nowadays. But, uh, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's mind numbing every time I walk in there and it's just, you know, endless caverns of hallways and tunnels yeah, to yeah. 
new rinks that weren't there the previous year. Right, so. right. They've uh, they've done it up pretty good. I've seen some some photos of uh, you know what they've added to the building for uh, for the Providence Bruins. You know they've got the logos on the ice and the advertisements on the boards and the banners are all hanging up. It looks it looks really good. Um, and I do before we break here, I want to make mention uh, the loss of uh, John Cheney um, in the last week or so. Uh, I know you were sort of part of one of the more famous college basketball incidents um, in the, uh, the the little bit of the fight there out at UMass between John Chaney uh, and an exasperated UMass coach. Um, could you give us just like a two-minute sort of summary of what you remember about that event? I mean, I remember everything about that event. I don't know if I hope I'll try to summarize and, it. And you're on the 30 for 30, right? Like there's the video of... Uh, I the, the funny thing was, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you the background of that story. So the, the, the clip, the famous clip that you always see about that incident was the only TV camera, so I thought, that was in the room at the time was um, the Channel 40 ABC station out of Springfield. Um, and so the, the clip that was shown on ESPN, and you can still find it on YouTube these days, was the only clip that you saw. And of course, all the media is sitting, um, you know, on in front of the camera, and in, I call it the back of the heads gallery. And I can still pick out all of my media friends, Dan Wetzel, who's now at Yahoo, who you know was from the oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, number of people, Rich Thompson from the, from the Herald that I used to work with. I was standing next to the TV camera along the wall with Jerry Callahan, who was working at the Herald at the time. So I had always thought that I was not in any footage whatsoever. And so the 30 for 30 appeared, the, the John Cheney, uh, the John Calipari 30 for 30 appeared, what was it two years ago, whatever. All of a sudden my phone started blowing up and the first, you believe it or not, the first person who reached out to me was John McClain, the former MC hockey coach, sends me a, a screen cap. He says, is this you? And I was, I, I was like, where in the world did you find that? And so it was in the 30 for 30. So unbeknownst that UMass apparently had a camera in the room and it filmed the entire thing and filmed Calipari after the whole thing was done, after he finished his press conference and was walking out of the, the, the Mullen Center, what they call the green room, which is the, the hospitality room where they have the press conferences. And so he was walking out the side door um, to basically the other part of the press room. And uh, I did, had never realized the whole time that I was standing in front of that door while all of this was going on. And so when he was walking out of the room, he basically had to walk like right past where I was. So I kind of sidestepped out of the way. Um, and I had never seen any footage of that. It, it was, and so my phone was blowing up that night. As we, and every, every time that the 30 for 30 comes on, somebody else sees it and somebody else texts me the picture it's like, look at you when I was 25 at the time. I was <laughs> two years out of college. I look like I'm, what, 16 maybe in that picture. <laughs> um, uh, but it is still to this day the most bizarre thing I have experienced in my entire life. It was it was amazing. The, the, it was just like everyone was like, what is going on here? Because it, it, it came so out of the blue. Um, you know, Cheney had given his press conference before that, and he was perfectly calm. And then – he was told that Calipari had a discussion with the officials in the hallway, and that's what blew him up. And it turns out that that never happened. It was one of these classic things of telephone tag where word got back to him that something happened that never actually happened, and that's where he blew up, and it became this big thing. Um, but, you know, they, they had, had... They ended up becoming friends, right? Past, but, um, 
they they wound up becoming good friends about the whole thing and yeah. you know they can still laugh they will laugh about it you know now and, and you know i was uh i was sad to see that, that you know john cheney passed away last week because you know he was like your your, your crazy uncle kind of guy that yeah he you would always had a, have a great story or a great yarn or a great way of putting things in perspective um you know and, and obviously he was a legendary coach yeah and, uh, yeah he was he was a lot of fun to 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 watch um, some some classic UMass Temple basketball games over the years yeah. back in the nineties. Yeah, well, Jim, thank you so much as always for coming on uh, the podcast. Um, check out Jim's work in the Boston Globe uh, and Hockey Night in Boston, and uh, we will catch you around the rinks at some point. I think I really feel like we'll end up crossing paths here at some point. I hope so. You know, I would love to. You know, once we get these. Uh, league tournament schedule set up i know a couple of them are already but uh you know, we're going to be seeing more in the coming days and hopefully i can slide out sometime in the next week or so and uh, we're not going to have any classic trips to gallo or a song just yeah. or the garden or anything yeah. like that but uh hopefully we'll we'll be able to hit something in the next week or so before this all wraps up yeah looking forward to it all right thanks a lot for listening and we'll catch you next week Bye.